are listening to the Grace of Bel Air Sermon Podcast. Grace exists to help people discover a life of purpose in Jesus Christ through discipleship and serving one another. For additional information, you can visit us online at www.graceofbelair.com. And now, we invite you to enjoy this week's sermon. Good morning, everybody. I said good morning. How's everybody doing? Good? Awesome. Awesome. Well, it's good to to be able to share with you God's Word today. And uh, we're going to jump right into our, uh, back into our series that we've been on called Spiritual Confidence in the New Normal. Uh, Today, we're going to be looking at the end of the book of Joshua, chapter 24. We come to the end of this book and the story of Joshua and his life. And uh, we're going to talk about today some defining moments. Um, And I just want to say this, every time you come to church and worship the Lord, there are defining moments happening, whether you see it or not. And uh, God is moving in your life, and He's doing things that you cannot see, but He is working. Um, You will see glimpses of it, but you won't see all of it in this life. Uh, And so I encourage you today to keep worshiping the Lord and watch God do things and orchestrate events in your life that you can't even begin to explain other than give him credit for it. Uh, Because that's how he works. That's how how God works. And so this morning we're going to jump into what this is all about called a defining moment. Um, And this morning, if you're online, we welcome you. Thank you for joining us. Put that in the comments, defining moment. Uh, This morning we're going to talk about that in Joshua chapter 24 as Joshua's life comes to an end. Um, He's giving some final instructions to the people. Uh, he, was a, he was being mentored by Moses um, before Moses passed away, and then the torch was then given to Joshua to lead the people in the new land that God had given to them. And so Joshua has experienced a lot. He's conquered many different territories in the land. He's, he's uh, fought many battles. He's experienced some good, some bad. Um, and now he's at this place called Shechem, which is an important place. We'll talk about that in a moment. But this is a place where he is going to give really his final speech that's recorded uh, to the people and, and, and how they should process and go throughout their journey in their life after he's gone. Um, and so this is a, a very important uh, scripture passage. And I don't know if, you know, I'll be sharing some things from my life that have had some defining moments uh, for my life that God has shaped me, where God has brought me from and and what he's brought me through and where God has placed me now, Um, you know, there are many, many moments that I I can share with you, but I'll share a few this morning in this message. Uh, But there's some more lighthearted ones that, uh, defining moments, I guess you would say, as as I was growing up. Uh, There's a couple of things that have happened to me that really, you know, told told me some things, taught me some things. Um, You know, one thing that I learned was that skateboarding is not for everybody. Amen. And so, uh, you know, I had uh, seen my friends do it, and I see them do all sorts of tricks on it and jump off stairwells and, you know, do all that crazy stuff, um, you know, get on those ramps and things and, and go to skate parks. And I thought, you know, if they could do it, I can do it. I'm, I mean, we're about the same size and height, you know, all that good stuff. And so, um, so I bought all the equipment, you know, and I thought I could do it. 
and, uh, and just pick it right up, just like I've done a lot of different things. Pick it right up and just go with it. Um, until I had my first accident, which was in the first five minutes of owning that skateboard. And so um, I don't know about you, but when you land on your tailbone, uh, for me, that's game over. Like, I, I don't care. Like, I, 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 it hurt so bad. I walked right inside. My parents said, what are you doing? I said, I'm done. And I just, <laughs> they're like, you're out there for five minutes. And I said, well, I'm done. All right. And I never, never picked it up again. Uh, some other defining moments for me, if, if you maybe as a kid, uh, you maybe had this, but did you ever have like a little ant farm, those little cases that had ants inside? Um, you know, I had one of those when I was a kid and uh, I was about four or five years old. And I remember um, I've shared a lot of stories from my childhood. So just so you know, my life is, is very interesting. OK, uh, I'm, I'm, my parents are, you know, I put them through a lot. So um, so we owned this little ant farm. It was in a little case thing. And, and I remember just looking at them, seeing how cool that was as a kid. I thought bugs were awesome. Right. And so. Um, then when I, my parents, uh, we went to go visit some families, uh, or my family out in Florida. And so we went there and I remember just playing in the grass, doing like what, you know, boys do play with bugs, I guess. And, and, um, and so I was playing with some bugs and I saw some ants and I'm like, Oh, there we go. Like, I remember these little guys in my case at home. And so I started playing with the ants. I did not know that there were different types of ants. Okay. In the world, all right. I just thought there was one type of ant, and so I'm just used to them being a little case. Thought they were harmless, and then I'm sitting there playing in the front yard, and I remember it, and I remember just feeling this sharp pain coming on me, and I'm like, "What in the world? This, something hurts. Something feels like it's on fire right now." And I looked, and then I'm start, now it's starting to get really bad, okay. And so I started calling for my parents. I had literally sat on top of a fire ant, um, several, okay. I, I, I sat on a nation of fire ants, is what I'm trying to say. And, and so this, all these fire ants, all on me, and I'm getting bit all over the place. And lo and behold, I knew there was two different kinds of ants that, in that moment. I, I discovered the second kind of ant, all right? Uh, the fire ants, if you've never counted one, don't, okay? Just run from those things. And so uh, luckily I survived and all that, but uh, it did come with some, some terrible, terrible injuries, okay? Um, so there are definitely some good uh, defining moments for sure. I, you know, when you come to picking a school, going to pick a job, whatever that may look like, you know, I recognize this, that, um, you know, I was, a, I was a month away from attending my first uh, year of college as a freshman, and then, you know, something kind of miraculously happened in my life where I decided to change my school last minute, and uh, the school was gracious enough to let me in and, and do all that, and so I, I made a switch and so um, the reason why I'm sharing this story is because it was a defining moment for me because I realized this, if I hadn't made that last minute switch, I would have never met my wife. I would have never married my wife, right? My wife, Amber, I, you know, there were so many things that would have changed forever in my history if that moment did not happen. And so today we're going to talk about some defining moments about how God's going to uh, you know, see you through, through whatever situation you're dealing with, both in the past, present, and future, God's going to show up in your story. How many of you love seeing God show up in your story, right? God shows up in your story, and he's going to keep showing up, and he's going to keep doing things that you cannot explain, and he's going to protect you from things that, that you had no idea he was protecting you from. And so I noticed this, that defining moments happen, but I don't recognize it as a defining moment until later right? I don't recognize how powerful of a moment it is until like weeks, months, even years at times. I didn't notice that it was a powerful 
defining moment. And I recognize this now, that God wants you and I to experience defining moments. And so now we're going to read this in, in the book of Joshua, chapter 24. We're going to read this verse by verse because I want us to catch the context of this whole story as to why certain things are getting mentioned. Because I think it's important to recognize why things get mentioned in the Bible. You know, it's not just, not just for fun, okay? The writer didn't just write it down just for fun. He's trying to bring some things out for people to recognize so that you and I can know God and who He is, know the character of God, and, and also see the defining moments that took place in your life, but also in the future. This is what it says in the book of Joshua, chapter 24. So here's what a defining moment always involves. Number one, it involves a decision. Everybody say decision. Put that in the chat online. Decision. There is an important decision that is going to be made here at Shechem with the Israelites. It says this in verse 1 through 15. Then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. He summoned the leaders, elders, and judges, officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. Joshua said to all the people, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and led them throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. I assigned the hill country of Seir to Esau, but Jacob and his family went down to Egypt. Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I afflicted the Egyptians by what I did there and brought you out. When I brought your people out of Egypt, you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued them with chariots and horsemen as far as the Red Sea. But they cried out to the Lord for help, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians. He brought the sea over them and covered them. You saw with your own eyes what I did to the Egyptians. Then you lived in the wilderness for a long time. I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived east of the Jordan. They fought against you, but I gave them into your hands. I destroyed them from before you, and you took possession of their land. When Balak, son of Zippor, the king of Moab, prepared to fight against Israel, he sent for Balaam, son of Beor, to put a curse on you. But I would not listen to Balaam. So he blessed you again and again, and I delivered you out of his hand. Then you crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho. The citizens of Jericho fought against you, as did all the Amorites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hittites, Girgashites, Hivites, Jebusites, every kind of ite that was in the Bible, okay? But I gave them into your hands. I sent the hornet ahead of you, which drove them out before you, also the two Amorite kings. You did not do it with your own sword and bow. So I gave you a land on which you did not toil in cities you did not build. And you live in them. You eat from their vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Now fear the Lord and serve him only with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are now living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. So Joshua opens up with statements from the Lord that he is speaking over the leadership and of the people of Israel, and then he gets into what they have to do personally as people if they're truly going to follow the Lord. And so there's a decision being made at Shechem. This is an important place, and this is a reason why we need to provide context to why they are here and why did they go to this place. Shechem is an important place. Have you ever heard of Father Abraham, right? Has many sons, right? So Abraham 
Abraham is the, the, the father of the nation of Israel, as we call it now. And so he is, at this point in time, in, in Genesis chapter 12, he's known as Abram at this point in time. And so this is where God first appears and speaks to, to Abraham, right here. Shechem is where it begins. And so then we see some, some interesting things happen. We see in Genesis 33, one of Abraham's grandsons, Jacob, will purchase land, builds an altar here. Genesis 34, then we see something tragic happen. One of Jacob's daughters is raped. And then we see uh, two of Jacob's sons take the justice into their own hands and kill all the people that were a part of this people group who were responsible. And he put all the males to death. So there's, so there's some crazy things happening here. In Genesis 35, then we see Jacob say to those who are going to follow him on this journey, he says, bury your gods under the tree. Which means if you're going to follow me on this journey, this is going to be a little different. This means bury your gods. Get rid of them. And there's this specific tree that they are at um, that they would come to. It's a landmark of Shechem. So there's a lot of things that have happened here. And so this is a place where they come to to be reminded of the faithfulness of God and the mission God is calling them to. It's a moment where they have to make a decision. Just like they had to make a decision with when Abraham had to make a decision, when God first spoke to him in Genesis 12. And so now they're, now they're here again. It's a place where they come to hear from God, a place where they're receiving uh, direction from God. I don't know if you have a place like that, but you need to have a place. You need to find a place where you just get alone with God and you present your needs and requests and even some of the things you're mad about to the Lord. I have a place. I didn't realize how big of a moment it was when I was a, when I was a freshman in college. My, my grandparents had lived in the same area that I lived in college. And so, you know, what happens is when a poor freshman in college doesn't have any money, doesn't have any food, he goes over to grandma and grandpa's house and goes and eats their food. And he use, even uses their printer, okay, because he needs it, all right? And so, and so I'm there at the computer printing something off because I need it. And my grandfather walks in. He um, he has this Bible in his hand. My, my grandfather was a pastor, and uh, he's went to go be with the Lord a few years ago. And he, he comes in and gives me this big, thick Bible, right? These, those, those kinds of Bibles that would make your forearms really just get strong, right? And, and be built strong, right? I probably should carry that more. Um, but th- this Bible had his name on it. So my, this one has my name written on it. Uh, but his, his name is written on that one. And so he gave it to me. He says, hey, I got, I got a lot of Bibles. Would you like this one? I said, sure, without thinking twice of it. But I did not know that this was going to be a moment where my Shechem begins. And the reason why I say that is because even though he's gone on to be with the Lord, I still have that Bible at home, and it's always visible to me because it's either in my basement or it'll be on the kitchen table. It's always going to be somewhere that I see it because I know this. Whenever I need God to speak and I need him to be direct with me or whenever I'm mad, about something that's going on, I go to my Shechem. And I say, Lord, I need a word from you. I need to hear from you. I'm desperate. I'm struggling. I've got doubts. I've got discouragement. Whatever the case may be. God, I got questions. I go to my Shechem, which is that Bible. Because I believe that that was a defining moment for me. And I open that Bible up and I just begin to let God speak. To me, And I can't tell you how many things God has spoken to me through that. Number one, he reminds me of my purpose, of my calling. He always, he always speaks encouragement to me. He always speaks a different direction for me. There's always something I get from that every time. 
And so it's not a Bible I carry with me everywhere. I have a phone that has a Bible. I have this Bible. I have a number of different Bibles that I have. But that's the Bible. When I'm desperate, when I'm just like, I need, I need a word from God. I go to, go to my Shechem. And I, and, I, and I sit there and I just listen. Because God wants to confirm some things. God wants to change some things. God wants to do some things in me. And it's a place where I go to. It's, it's a place that I didn't realize in that moment when I received it that that would be a defining moment for me years later. And so is there a place? Is it on your deck? Is it in your car? Is it in your room? Is, it, is there a, a specific Bible that you just open up and it's just, God, speak. I need you to say something to me. God, I need to feel you. God, I need to know you're there. Whatever the case may be, there is a place, a, a moment that God has for you, that God does want to speak. God wants to speak in your life and into your situation. But we, we have to make ourselves available to it. And so I encourage you to find that place or to find that thing, whatever that may look like, and watch God speak to you time and time again. See, this whole word from God was a reminder of his faithfulness. It's a reminder of his faithfulness. See, my grandfather is the first person other than his mom, I should say. His mom was, uh, died when he was 12, and she introduced him to church. She then passed away at the age of 12, which sent her husband, my grandfather, on his side into a frenzy because he became worse and worse and worse, where he was verbally and physically abusive towards my grandfather, so much so that when my grandfather graduated from high school, he hitchhiked to college immediately while he was being insulted on the way. While he was standing on the edge of a driveway, he was being insulted by his own father as he was trying to hitchhike to college. It was bad. And so my grandfather, when he gave his life to the Lord, he just, he just went and pursued God's call in his life to be a, be a pastor. And so from that, I recognize this, that every time I open that Bible, my Shechem moment, I'm reminding myself that I am the beneficiary of a miracle that took place in my grandfather's life. I am benefiting from something, a decision that was made that when I wasn't even alive, that it, it benefited me in a huge way. And it reminds me that God has a purpose and calling for my family, for the generations of my family. Because if you want to go deep into the Hackett uh, family, uh, I guess, traditions or stories of our family, it's not great. We're town drunks, so there you go. Um, it's, not, it's not pretty, okay? And so it's not, it's not a pretty story. But things shifted in a moment. It shifted in a moment. And I'm the beneficiary of that. And I felt a heavy burden. I showed this with first service. I felt a heavy burden on people who are first generation Christian, as I call them. You are the one that was the first person to come to know Jesus. You're the only one maybe here in church today. The rest of your family are not. I'm here to tell you God sees you. God sees you. And he sees the generations of your family that are going to shift. Because of the decisions you are making. You may not you're, not, you're not perfect by any means, but man, I'm the beneficiary of, of a decision that was made years ago when I wasn't even alive. And this is what is so important for you and I to know, is that God is, he was the God of the past, of the present, and of your future. You see, when we read this story, we see God not only, God is speaking, by the way, remind you of that, God is speaking through Joshua and he tells them not just about Abraham, he talks about Abraham's father, does he not? So, what was Abraham's father doing? He was worshiping other gods. Not pretty. 
Not something that you're proud of. He's worshiping an idol, handcrafted idols that were made by man. It's not God. It's not a pretty story. But do you know God was there? Orchestrating the events of that moment for God to speak to Abraham at Shechem. He orchestrated the events before Abraham even chose God. It reminds us of the words that Jesus mentioned in John 15, verse 16. Before you chose me, I chose you. He says, I'm choosing you before you even considered to even follow. This is the point that I want to get across, is that the reason why you're here is because God went through extreme lengths to make that moment happen for you to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ for the first time. He went through extreme lengths to make that happen. He was working generations before you were even born so that you can have a moment to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ for the first time, to hear that you're a sinner, but you can be saved by His grace and mercy if you confess and believe. That is what this whole story is about, is about God, that He was faithful in the past, and He was faithful even when they didn't even choose Him. He says... While they were worshiping other gods, God called Abram out and changed the direction of of his life and the future generations. They are, this moment, they are the beneficiaries of that decision that was made a long time ago before they were even born. I'm just here to tell you, God is working in the middle of your story. And he's been orchestrating your events, these events, for a very long time because he believes that you are more than a conqueror and you are dangerous to the enemy. And this is why it's so amazing. And he's the God of your present. The word I is mentioned 18 times, verses 2 through 13. That's God speaking. He says, I delivered you. I broke through for you. How many know God's trying to say something? There is no other God besides him. If he's saying it that much, he knows there's a a a mindset where they're believing in this polytheism culture that they are so used to in this world at this time, where they just worship all the gods. They just want to please every god. God says, no, there's only one god, and it's me. I delivered you. None of these other gods delivered you. You know why? Because they are no longer, the people groups who worship them are no longer here. So he tells them, you can go back across the river. It mentions that several times in in the story. You can go back across the river. You can go back to the past if you want. And worship those gods who didn't deliver you. You can stay in the present with the people group that were worshiping these present day gods. Who didn't deliver you. Who didn't help you. Who didn't come through for you. Or you can worship me and me alone. The one who has delivered you. The one who will continue to deliver you. You see how powerful of a moment this is for them? A defining moment? Choose this day who you will serve. You want to go back to your past? You want to go back to the bondage? You want to go back to not having a purpose? You want to stay where where the culture is and just follow what they do all over the place, don't know what truth is anymore, and we just follow that? Or do you want to choose me as your God, the one true God, who will be faithful in your past, present, and future, and showing up in your story all the time? This is who God is. He mentions himself as the one that's been guiding them through. Genesis 23, verse 3. This has been like a powerful scripture over the past couple years for me. It says this, He guides me down the right path for his name's sake. I love it. It doesn't say for Bobby's sake. Who does it say it's for? His, right? His sake. Not mine. Has nothing to do with me. Everything to do with him. That's important to catch. 
Because you're going to be reminded of the faithfulness of God because God chose you and he's doing it for his name's sake. So while we are faithless people, we go up and down, up and down. Because read the book of Judges. It's the very next book. Just a few chapters in, you see it does not go well for them. Right? After this generation leave, things get really bad really quick. Right? So we're, we, we're not necessarily faithful all the time. God says, I will always be faithful all the time. I am perfect in faithfulness. My promises will stand true forever and ever. No one else can say it. No one else can be faithful like I can. So even when you may be faithless, he will remain faithful. I mean, you're thankful for a faithful God, right? I mean, that's, that's important to know is that he will always be faithful because why? Because his nature, it's in his nature. It's his character. It's who he is. And so God then says, I've sent the hornet before you. So not only is he the God of your past, not only is he the God of the present, he's also the God of the future. He's telling them, I sent the hornet ahead of you before your enemies. Now, how many of you have ever been stung by a hornet? Okay. Doesn't feel good. Right? I've never experienced that, praise the Lord, and I'm not jinxing myself right now. Do not get stung by a hornet. I have been terrified of hornets. I am terrified of hornets, and I'm sure maybe if you encountered a hornet or so, or five, ten, a dozen of them, you'd be, you'd be freaking out too. You would not want to go anywhere near those hornets, right? Because they're, they're terrifying. And so this is, now, is the Bible literally talking about hornets? Probably not. This is what he's more than likely talking about, is that he's going before you, which means the enemies were terrified of you. So, God is going before you. That means he is terrifying the enemy of your soul. He's terrified of you. Not because of you, but because of who comes in the presence, the presence of God that is with you. That is what terrifies the enemy. So it tells us all the time in the book of Joshua how the enemies they were facing were melted with fear. Why? Because the hornet went before him. The fear of, of God coming of the nation of Israel coming, they were afraid. See, the enemy of your soul is terrified of you. And so all he's going to try to do is prevent you and I from doing the things that God has called us to do. From pursuing the events that he's orchestrating. From saying yes to making a decision to follow Jesus. Maybe that's where you're at today. You haven't decided. I'm not asking if mom or dad has done that for you because guess what? The Bible's very clear. If you confess with your mouth, who? Mom and dad can't confess their mouth for you. It says, if you confess with your mouth, he is Lord. And believe in your heart, he is risen from the dead. You will be saved. I grew up in a pastor's home. And that was, that was very clear to me that I had to make a decision, that I could not borrow my parents' salvation. I had to make a decision. I had to humble myself before God. Has that happened to you? Was there a defining moment where that changed your life forever? Where that decision you can point back to and say, man, I don't regret that decision. It's the best decision I've ever made in my life. You can experience the defining moment right now because all you have to do is confess. Why are you confessing? Because you're repenting of who you are and believing who he is. And you're receiving who he is. And you're getting rid of all the baggage, all the sin, all the things that have brought you down and you're giving it to him saying, God, I don't care how good I can be. I will never make it. But I know how good you are. And with you, I can make it. 
And that's what you're bringing into your life now. It is taking the pressure off of you, trying to be something, trying to be perfect in every way, which only leads you to shame, guilt, and condemnation. Because you'll realize very quickly you can't do it. And it's receiving it. It's a defining moment for you. And he's orchestrated events to make this happen for you. But you still have to decide, I can't do it for you. I wish I could. I would do it for you in a heartbeat. But I can't do it for you. I can't do it for my kids. They're going to have to come to a point one day to make, their, make up their mind. Choose this day who they will serve. And I can do everything I can. I can put them in all the events that I could possibly do. But they're going to have to decide for themselves. I can't do it for them. And so, with this, Joshua states, now Joshua is talking in verse 14. He says, fear the Lord, serve him with all faithfulness. This is their job, to serve him with all faithfulness, which leads us into the loyalty. Everybody say loyalty. This is what it says in verses 16 through 24. It says, the people answered, far be it from us to forsake the God, the Lord, to serve other gods. It was the Lord God himself who brought us and our parents out of Egypt from that land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey among all the nations through which we traveled. The Lord drove them out before us, all the nations, including the Amorites who live in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord. He's a holy God. He's a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord, serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you, make an end of you after he has been good to you. But the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. Joshua said, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we are witnesses, they replied. Now then, Joshua said, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God and obey him. He's talking about loyalty to the cause. Because I know this, if you read the Bible in the book of James, towards the end of the the Bible, one of the last books in the book of James, the Bible says God does not tempt people. God does not tempt people. But there will be tests along the way. There are going to be tests. Now, here's the important part to know about temptation and tests. Temptation keeps you where you are and it takes you backward. Temptation, that's what temptation does. Who does that? The enemy tempts. Who decides whether or not we fall into that? You do. <laughs> Testing, on the other hand, do we have teachers? I know we have teachers here. Teachers, raise your hand. Teachers, we love teachers. You guys are awesome. Fabulous people. Wonderful people. Now, it... Now, do teachers, when they present tests, do they want their students to fail? No. Okay. All right. <laughs> Some of you thought about it because you're like, well, which teacher are we talking about? Okay. Um, no. Teachers do not want their students to fail. They want them to pass. Why? So that they can advance. God tests you, your loyalty, because why? Not so that you fail, so that you advance you advance in the enemy's territory. You overcome the things that you're struggling with. You overcome the battles you're facing within your family. You overcome whatever the case may be, the financial issues, the marriage issues. God is bringing you to a place and he's preparing you. So this is why you do not neglect the word of God. You must read it. You must study it. You must pray. Because guess what? God is bringing you to a place of where you're going to be tested because he wants you to be successful and you've got to prepare yourself. You've got to practice if you're going to perform on the field. You've got to practice. You've got to be ready for the tests that are coming. Not so that you fail. That's not what God desires. God doesn't desire you to fail. God desires you to succeed. He calls you more than a conqueror. So he's preparing you for advancement in the kingdom of God. 
He's preparing you for the gospel to be shared and spread throughout the whole world. Now, the gospel, this is important, the gospel cannot be presented if I'm just stacking chairs. That's a, that serves a purpose at times, correct? But the gospel is meant to be spoken by your mouth. Too many Christians today are scared to death to open up their mouth and share the gospel with people because they don't think they know it enough. They don't know it better enough, that they're not perfect. Listen, I'm here to tell you, that is the enemy lying to you. The power of your mouth. We just sing a song. When I open up my mouth, miracles start breaking out. You have the authority. When you open up your mouth and start sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with somebody, whether that's inviting them to church or you're talking about your story and your situations, what God has brought you through, I am telling you, miracles are breaking out of your mouth. The Bible says in James that the power of the, the tongue has the power of life and death. When you open that, when you share that, it is terrifying the enemy. The, the hornet is going before you because you are planting seeds in that person's life. You may not get a response. You may get laughed at. You may get mocked. You may get you know, overlooked or they don't seem to care. But I guarantee you this, the word of God does not return void. It stays planted. It stays planted. And you just keep, you keep, keep going. You keep being obedient. I mean, I was reminded of this just a couple of weeks ago where I'm in ShopRite just going to a store and I go to the deli and I ask the guy that's there. I didn't really recognize him. He had a mask on and everything. And I asked if I could get some, some deli meat. So he starts giving it to me and then he, he looks right at me and he goes, are you still sharing the gospel with people? And I was like, Uh, I said, who are you? And he told me his name. And I thought, oh my goodness, I haven't seen this kid in seven years, six years, whatever it's been. I, I was a volunteer at a local high school. And I remember just sharing character lessons because I can't share Jesus. So I share character lessons with them. But on the side, during the sideline games, he would come up to me, ask me what I do for a living. So I get to tell him what I do for a living. You asked. So then I said, I'm a youth pastor. I share Jesus with people. And so he thought that was really cool. And so I hadn't seen him in a long time. And all of a sudden, there he is in front of me. And a seed was planted that many years ago. What is the first thing I did when I got in my car? I repented. I said, God, forgive me for being silent when I thought it wouldn't make a difference. It made a big difference in him. And I don't know who else, but it made a big difference. Because the word of God never returns void. It does come back. It does matter. Don't stop sharing your faith just because you're afraid of offending somebody. Guess what? Look at the cross. It will be offensive. Nobody likes to hear that they're a sinner in need of a savior. And I'm not saying bash people over the head with the gospel. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying evaluate your life and your story and say, what made me come to the point of receiving Jesus? Was it somebody bashing me over the head with the gospel or was it somebody being gentle and kind and truthful with me? Why don't I be gentle and kind and loving to them? And maybe I don't get a response. Maybe I don't get to see the event take place. But maybe I'm providing an easier opportunity for the next believer to come along. So be it. I'll do it. So I'm here to tell you, church, do not silence yourself. And do not let the enemy silence your voice because when you open up your mouth, miracles will break out. Salvation, as far as I know, salvation is still the greatest miracle of all time. I don't know if you know the miracle, and there is no other miracle. Salvation, 
through Jesus Christ is the greatest moment. So we have to be loyal to the cause that Jesus is calling us to. And so this is why, they, why he's telling them to basically bury your gods. Are there things in our life that we have to throw away? Are there things that have got us distracted? It may not have, may not have been a bad thing. It may not be a bad material or bad possessions that you have, but it's absorbed your mind. It's consumed your life. You know, there are things that you can have that are a blessing, but those blessings can become the thing that hinders you from growing in your faith because more of your time is going to that than to your relationship with the Lord. You've got to be careful in balancing things in your life because you are called to pursue Him, not to pursue, pursue stuff. You are not called to pursue position. You're called to pursue purpose. Not in my notes, but this is what I need to share. So many people are pursuing positions rather than their purpose. Be careful of that. That's what the world pursues. Positions, power, influence. I was reminded this week, Luke chapter 7, Jesus goes to a village called Nain. What in the world is Nain? It's a small town. Nobody knows. Nobody goes to, right? There's probably one street light. You know, all we know. Not making fun of small towns. I, I, I've ministered in small towns. But I'm just saying that most people overlook that. The village Nain. And you know what happened there? Jesus walks there. Because you know why? Jesus isn't pursuing position. He's pursuing his purpose. And he goes to the small town of Nain where a widow's son has just died. And they're carrying him out to go bury him. And Jesus speaks life into that son. And he rises from the dead. And a miracle breaks out in the whole community. People are coming to know and place their faith in him. Because why? Jesus didn't pursue, pursue position. He was pursuing his purpose. He says, I didn't just come to preach to the massive crowds because that's what everybody else wants. I came for the, the small town. The ones that many people overlook who think it's insignificant, it doesn't mean anything. I pursued my purpose. He's pursuing his purpose. What if the purpose that God has for your life is not what the world pictures for your life? What if that's different? What if it's different? What if it's not the influence you think it looks like? What if it's a different kind of influence? Jesus came to shift their mindset. That's why, that's why Joshua is saying to them, you can't serve the Lord. Why? Because they needed a mindset shift because they're so used to serving foreign gods. That's just part of their nature and their world. Have you ever had to have, your, have God sh uh, change your mindset? It's pretty, it's pretty hard to do, but it's not impossible with God. So sometimes your mindset needs a shift. That's what he's trying to tell him. He says, no, 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 you don't understand. This is not some God you bring along your journey. This is the only God you serve. This is the only God you bring along. This is the only God you worship. You don't worship anything else. This is important. The third thing is this, recording the moment. It says this, I'll close with it. On that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people there at Shechem. He reaffirmed for them decrees and laws, and Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law of God. Then he took a large stone, set it up there under the oak near the holy place of the Lord. See, he said to all the people, this stone will be a witness against us. It has heard all the words the Lord has said to us. It will be a witness against you if you're untrue to your God. So this is what we know. This is a covenant they're making. It's not a one-way street. It's a two-way street. God is going to be faithful to his covenant and his word. The question is, are we? And so he's telling them that this is a witness in this moment. This is recording a moment. There may be things you've, been, you've recorded in your mind that shaped your life, that changed your life, some good, some bad. 
There may be some things you've written down or there may be things that you've had in your possession that remind you of something. I'm here to tell you, God wants to bring those defining moments more and more into your life. And you need to place those things that, are, that can be visual in your life so that you can see it and remind yourself of the faithfulness of God in your life. Remind you, because I have often thought of how many times God has protected me from things and lifestyles that I was going to pursue. And I don't know how I didn't pursue it because everybody told me when you're around a group of friends, that's who you become. But I can't, th- this one moment happened to me where I was just thinking about that. Man, if that was true in my life, then I would be probably into drugs and a lot of different things because I had a lot of friends that were in a Christian school who went that direction. And for some strange reason, I didn't go that way. The only thing I can say is God did a miracle and he led me a different way. Because the philosophy was that if you hang around those people, you become like them. And I should have been one. Because that's what they went through. That's when some of them have come back to the Lord, some haven't. But I'm just here to tell you, God was working a miracle and I didn't even know it. He broke me off of that and led me down a different path. Why? He leads me down the right path for his name's sake. His name's sake. I can't point to anything else other than the faithfulness of God and the protection of God. It says record the moments in your life. Remember this, that you can pursue this new covenant with Jesus Christ that he gives to us through his death and resurrection on the cross. Your story, what God has done, what he's doing, it matters. You know, I just give you one more quick story. I know the worship team can come. There is a pivotal moment in my life because, again, there's a reason why I shifted my college experience a month before I went was because of a moment that took place a year before that, a little bit over a year before that. And I was on a mission trip in New Orleans because there was a hurricane called Katrina. Some of you were alive during that time. Some of you weren't, but it was a terrible devastation on that area and that city of New Orleans. And I remember being there, working out of school, cleaning up all this debris and stuff. It was gross. It was terrible. And uh, me and this guy were picking up this basketball goal. And I don't know if you've ever moved a basketball goal that once was planted in the ground, but that thing is stinking heavy, okay? And I was picking it up, moving it, and him and I were going to be through it into this pile of trash that we were getting rid of it. And I didn't notice underneath it there was a hook. And so when I threw it, it spun. And it grabbed my wrist on my right wrist over here. And it, it cut me pretty deeply. And I have a scar. I still see it. I still see the scar on my wrist. And an unintentional injury. And I remember, you know, that was a painful experience for sure. But the reason why that is such a significant scar is because that's where God changed my life in a different way completely different way because that was either that night or the night after I don't remember I remember going into that service at this church and didn't know the pastor didn't know who he was I still remember his face to this day and I remember him coming to the altar and praying over me and I remember just struggling with my call with what God I knew God had called me into to be in full-time ministry but I didn't want to do it because I saw what my parents went through and I said I don't want to do that and I remember him coming up and he and he just says, look up at me. And he looks directly in the eye. And he says, I don't know why I need to tell you this, but God's trying to tell me something, I think. And he wants me to say it to you. Stop doing your will and start doing God's will. And he immediately walked away from me. And I was like, okay, that was weird. But, uh, but he was speaking directly into a situation that I was dealing with on the inside. It was destroying. Nobody knew. 
That's why I was like, it was only God because nobody knew. Nobody knew about that. It was only between me and God. It was like God was somehow showing me that he was working a miracle, a defining moment. And I remember walking away because the enemy plays with your mind. I don't know if you know that, but he does. He plays with your mind. Adam and Eve are in the garden. God speaks what they're supposed to do. And what is the thing Satan does when he comes to Adam and Eve? He says, does God, did God really say that to you? Did God really say that specifically? I think you twisted the words a little bit. Isn't that what the enemy does? Twist the words. And that's immediately what started to happen. Five minutes later, no joke, I'm sitting in the third row. I have a good friend of mine. She comes up to me and she goes, I have no idea, but I think God's trying to tell me something. I just got to say it to you. God is telling me that you need to be a pastor. And she walks away. And I thought, okay. (laughs) I don't know what else to say to that. Did you know the enemy still plays with that story? He still plays with it. But I have a scar on my right arm that reminds me of that trip and it reminds me of the moment still. It's a visual reminder. It was an unintentional injury. It hurt. I remember that pull. But I, but I can't deny it because every time I look down, even when I write and I see it, it reminds me of my call over and over and over and over again. It reminds me of my purpose in this life. It reminds me of who I am, that I am called, that I am chosen by God. There are things in your life God is reminding you of, his faithfulness and his goodness. I bet, I bet you, can, you can start to think of some stories as to how God was directing your path this whole time. He's involved in your story. And guess what? God has more moments for you, more defining moments for you. Some of you need to make this decision today to follow Jesus because this is where the defining moment starts. You don't have to figure it all out. I still don't have it figured out. I didn't know what in the world I was signing up for. I just knew Jesus was the best thing I could ever hear or experience, and I wanted it. I wanted all of it. I didn't want it because my mom and dad were telling me to get it, although they were, but I, was, I just wanted it for me because I knew I was a sinner in need of a Savior, and I wanted to follow Jesus for, for, for my future generations because I'm the beneficiary of decisions that were made long ago. And I want to make decisions that will benefit the future generations of my family too. Some of you are struggling with some things in your life. And I'm here to tell you, do not quit because the enemy wants to stop what he sees coming. He wants to stop you because of how it's going to impact the future generation of your family. That's what he's after. He's after your calling. He's after the purpose. That's what he wants to destroy. And he will throw everything at you. He will throw at you that it's not significant enough, that it's not very important, doesn't sound very fun. All these different things he will throw at you. You can't do it. You can't overcome it. You won't be that. You'll never be that. Some of us need to break off those things that are being spoken over us and just say, no, I know who I am. I know who I am. I know God has called me. He may not have called me into full-time ministry, but you know what? I know God wants me to use my workplace as a place to witness to people and I'm going to do whatever it takes to, to take advantage of those moments. And that even if it's just a little bit of sharing, so be it, I'll do it. Maybe it's God calling you to start a business and or to use your business to benefit kingdom projects for the Lord. I don't know. I'm just here to tell you the enemy is after your purpose but he who is within you is greater than the he that is in the world. You don't have to live in that shame and condemnation. You can break free. You don't have to live in the lie. 
you can believe the truth and declare it over your life. So I encourage you today that no matter what you're walking through, if you feel like giving up, I pray today that he gives you the strength to keep going. This is the day I believe that many will receive faith to believe again and now all things are possible. Don't let your dreams die just because you don't feel worthy. Don't let it die. Let God breathe life back into your dreams. Let him breathe it back into your life because he's the resurrecting, powerful God that we serve. He's the one who brings dead things to life. You may have thought it was a dead dream. God says, no, I'm guiding you down the path for my name's sake. Only to breathe life into it again and to resurrect it, those dreams that you've had, to pursue. And you know what? You need to verbalize what that dream is. Verbalize the dream to somebody, to your spouse, to a prayer person, whatever it looks like. Verbalize it. Because your words have power and they have meaning. Amen? Amen. You can stand with me this morning. Prayer teams, you can make your way forward. If you're struggling today with health or finances or marriage or anything in general, just remember this. God is with you. God is working in the midst of your situation. And it may not be the way you've pictured it. But just know this. I was reminded of this in Daniel chapter 3. A powerful scripture where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're standing before the king who could literally end their life in Daniel chapter 3. I don't know if you've ever faced a moment like that. I haven't. But staring at the king who could literally end their life and tells them if they don't bow, they're getting thrown into a fiery furnace and they will die. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, we will not bow because we serve God. And even if he doesn't deliver me from this, I will not bow. Isn't that powerful? Even if he doesn't do it the way I think it should be done, I still not bow. I will still believe in him only. So I'm just here to tell you, you may be going through a struggle and you're trying to figure it out. Or you're going through an issue and you're trying to figure it out. You can't seem to figure it out. Let me just tell you this. Will you worship him even if he doesn't do it the way you've pictured? Will you still trust? That's faith. That's faith. Faith is believing without seeing. It's saying, you know what, Lord? I don't know how this is going to go. But even if it doesn't go the way I pictured, I still won't bow. I still won't give in. I'll still pursue you with everything I have. I'll still follow. That's what God is bringing us to. He says, I'm guiding you down the path for my name's sake. That is the good and faithful God we serve. So this morning as we sing, if you need prayer today, I want to invite those that need prayer for any situation they're dealing with. Maybe you need to verbalize some things to break free from some things in your life. Maybe you're here today and you need to experience the salvation through Jesus Christ. These are what these prayer teams are here for. They can walk with you in that prayer, in that moment. And so this morning as they sing, if you would like to come and be prayed over, I encourage you to step out of the crowd in faith, believing God's going to work a miracle for you. So let's sing this together. And you come if you would like to receive prayer today.